Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Rockwell, who's also known on Twitter as at Leadership Freak, recently tweeted that refusing to act because someone's feelings might get hurt means feelings run your organization. Now, unfortunately, I hear something really similar all the time from my clients. They don't want to speak up about how they're feeling because it might hurt their partner. They don't want to talk about an unresolved issue for fear of upsetting their partner. And the worst, they feel it is their job to make their partner happy, so they're on constant alert for anything that could possibly create unhappiness, no matter how temporary that feeling might be. Now, all of this means that if this is you, your marriage is being run by feelings, and it's often not your feelings, and you have a serious misunderstanding of what happiness is, and honestly, you most likely fit the definition of a people pleaser. Now, you might think this is a good thing for your marriage, but it will actually be the cause of its destruction. Yep, that's what I said, trying to be pleasing all the time can actually destroy your marriage. So to find out why and how to avoid it, I'm joined by psychotherapist and author Sean Grover. So Sean, thanks so much because this seems to be like, I don't know, is it in the water? I mean, and by the way, we're not saying I don't think to be nice to our partner or not care about what our partner's feelings are, but we're talking about something a little bit different, right? Uh, absolutely. People pleasers, they're great. I mean, they tend to be, tend to be warm, wonderful wonderful, well-intentioned people, and it really works for everyone but them. Uh, mm-hmm. So if someone's trying to pleasing me, please me or uh, impress me or something, um, they're working a lot harder than I am. Uh, so it's kind of the, the loneliness of the people pleaser is while they're doing all this time giving, they're receiving very little and, and asking for even less. So uh, people pleasers tend to get very fatigued. They tend to feel a little depressed at times, lonely, even if, even if they're surrounded by people. Mm-hmm. It's as if they have this big garden with a sign that says, come and take all you'd like. The people come in and feast on their garden, and they leave, and the people pleaser doesn't have anything left for themselves. Right. Well, and part of the reason why I wanted to talk with you about this, because in a recent article that you wrote for Psychology Today, it's called How Wanting to Be Liked Gets You Rejected, which I love. You write that when all your energy goes toward pleasing others, you're likely to get the opposite in return, meaning that you're not going to, I'm assuming that by this you mean you're not going to be pleased. Is that kind of on the right wavelength? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because working way too hard uh, so rather than being genuine or authentic which for me in my work with uh, patients who really strive for uh, mm-hmm. you're really working to foster an image that you think the other person will find attractive so we're starting from a fraudulent place and it can only get worse from there so that's kind of like a bait and switch Ooh, absolutely absolutely that's a, that's, a, that's a great way of describing it. Because, you know, you, you're buying this product the person is selling. But the thing about a people pleaser or working to be light is that it's, it's very fatiguing. You can't keep it up. Eventually it's going to break down and you're going to have to be yourself 
And it's a gamble whether that person that you've just convinced uh, sold this image to is actually interested in who you really are. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because when I talk about that, it, I, I talk about the greatest actors of our time, or of all time anyway, only have to be in that character for a limited period of time. And so eventually even these great actors go back to whoever they truly are, and you, it, is how, it takes so much energy to not be who you are. That's right. And to that well, it, it, you are a performer at that point, and you're right. There's the, if you're performing, you're not going to get a break from that, especially if people like, you know, the people pleaser is uh, is a, a sort of magnet for narcissists, for people who yeah. aren't very generous, mm-hmm. for people looking for caretakers. Uh, so the people pleaser can assemble a whole bunch of friends that actually, if we really take a look at them, they're really more about harvesting support uh, than really uh, knowing the other person. Well, and it's interesting because you talk about that, and then, and then a lot of times the people pleasers don't understand why when they're in need of help or n- none of their friends are anywhere around, and it's like, because they're not your friends. <laughs> That's right. You know. Boy, I hear that in my therapy groups all the time. Well, someone will tell these heroic stories that someone had a panic attack at 3 in the morning, and I jumped in my car, and I rushed over there, and then when they're in need or distress, no one picks up the phone. So they give way more than they get. And that's just, it's not a happy assistance. Well, and, and as you said, it's actually exhausting because, and so, but I want to make sure that people understand that what we're talking about, because I think we all have this desire for people to like us. But at least most well, of us well, do. I think well, maybe, well, that, maybe that's maybe that's not a true statement. I don't know. No, 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 that's that's good. That's good. No, we do have the desire for people to be like. There's nothing to like us. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but that is a byproduct of being who you are. So if you are genuinely who you are and honest and and authentic, and people like that, that's fantastic. But that's, uh, if you're going for the, to be light by being disingenuine or caretaking, all those things, um, then that's the difference. That's the line in the sand. So getting, you want to be like, sure, who doesn't want to be like, but I want to be like for who I am. I don't want to be like because I have a brand that I'm selling. I want to be a human being. Yeah, and, and, <sighs> And I think that, you know, because nobody, if somebody's going to come and do something for me, right, and I may or may not at least initially understand whether there's an ulterior motive for them to do this for me, but if somebody says, hey, yeah, sure, I'll drive you to the airport, or no, I'll take care of your cat while you're out of town, um, I'm not going to turn them down. I'm going to say, sure, thank you so much. But... You know, and so I think that's part of this is that sometimes we don't know that somebody is a people pleaser. We're just going to say, you know, because if I'm not, then I'm going to assume that if somebody says they're willing to do something for me, that that's a genuine um, yeah. offer. 
yes, versus that's right. an ulterior motive. That's right. Well, well, see that that's that's where the stress comes from. In if you're in relationship with a people pleaser, if uh, if they're offering to do these things for you so you will like them, there are strings attached. So it, it creates a, a burden on the people. You know, I'm going to do this wonderful thing for you. So I'm expecting a lot back. You know, this is, it's like uh, they're bartering for affection. Now do you like me? Look, I sat for your cat. Aren't I a wonderful person? Now do you like me? Eventually, that, you begin to feel the hunger for validation, the, the hunger for the, some acknowledgement. I'm doing all these things. And you can see it's all outwardly driven. So the people pleasers often, you know, when they're not engaged in that, do tend to suffer from anxiety or depression or loneliness. Uh, because when all your energy is going out towards others, you're really living in a state of self-neglect. And so people with the people, they won't even think of taking care of them because they're not even aware they have needs. <laughs> yeah, this is so. This is sounding to me kind of like the martyr complex, you know. And I, oh my God, I would, yeah. and I would joke with my kids or with my husband sometimes, you know. You kind of like something will happen. It's like that's all right. I'll be fine, you know. And I do it in kind of that. I'm like, okay, does yeah. anybody want to ask me if this is okay with me? And but I think in some cases that's real and. That's really can be destructive, especially in a marriage, if that's what oh, your yeah. partner is like. Right. My wife and I uh, turned it into a joke. We call it the, the, the great suffering competition, <laughs> which is I unloaded the dishwasher and I did the dish. Oh, well, I vacuumed the living room and that was even hard. Well, I just cleaned the bathroom. And like, who <laughs> suffered more? Right. Uh, and we sort of turned it into a, a joke, but... Uh, when people really embrace that way of living, it, it is stressful. You know, you do feel like you're a victim of neglect uh, or no one's acknowledging you. There's such a hunger, hunger, hunger for acknowledgement and affirmation. And to be in a relationship with someone who's always starving for that, uh, it, it becomes really uh, kind of a pain in the neck. <laughs> how, how, how much do I have to give? Because it, it, it has a very short shelf life. If they get the acknowledgement they're seeking, very quickly the next need comes right up against that. Again, because it's it's being they're looking for food from the outside, they're not feeding themselves. So it puts them in a state of sort of constant dependency on others. So eventually, people if you're dependent on people enough, they're going to start avoiding you, not taking your calls. They're just going to I don't know what it is about her, but. Oh, she's just so stressed out all the time. Well, and I, and I think that that may be the key because I think for people, real people pleasers, they don't understand that they're that. the direct message that they're giving is very different from the indirect message that they're giving because the direct message is, oh, sure, I'll do this for you, blah, blah, blah. But somehow there's this undercurrent or energy, I don't know what we want to call it, about it's like, yeah, this isn't this isn't being freely given. I there's like you said earlier, there's some strings attached to this and I'm not quite sure what they are. And mm-hmm. you know, and well, I'm, it, 
and I think that shows up in the response that if I can't drop everything for you because you just dropped everything for me, then then usually there is some negative feedback coming to that. It's like, whoa, I don't know what that was all about, but mm, now i got to distance myself, which is what you were talking about, about the rejection. Right. That's right, because when the, when the mask sort of slips from the people pleaser, what you will get is anger. Uh, mm. or martyrdom or uh, mm -hmm. you know shaming or punishing I did this to you I can't believe you're not and the person on the receiving end is sort of shocked because the people please has done such an amazing job of hiding that part so what we're really looking at is generally people have these sort of unmet uh, childhood needs mm -hmm. uh, and they're trying to in their current relationships fill the gaps uh, for approval they never got, for validation right. they never got. So generally people please, if you really spend time with them or work in therapy, you'll see they were at the receiving end of emotional neglect or physical abuse or verbal abuse, or the message they got is you're lovable when you do something for me. Right, and I want to so get then, back to that. Yeah, I, w I want to get back to that in in just a minute. But I need to remind mm -hmm. people that this is happily ever after is just the beginning on WebTalkRadio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with author and psychotherapist Sean Grover about the challenges of trying to please everyone all of the time. And if you're struggling with this in your marriage, then I encourage you to take action right now, right this minute. Send me an email or give me a call and take a advantage of my free, no obligation, create your happily ever after breakthrough session. Um, you can reach me at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at Foundations Coaching N-C, that's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, Coaching N is in Nancy, C is in Charlie, dot com, or you can call me at 919-924-0463, because if you are not including you in your marriage, it simply cannot be successful, and people pleasers don't include themselves, except like you're talking about, Sean, when suddenly they've been pushed over the edge. That's right. That's right. And the, then and then all, they show, their, all they show them, their true colors. Right. And so you were talking before the break about this coming from a place um, of unfulfillment of something that's happened in their past. And so I wanted... I wanted to go into that more, talking about these past experiences that kind of set people up for this kind of behavior. So, again, what are some of the things that can have happened in somebody's past that kind of might set the stage for becoming well, a people pleaser? For a people pleaser, in uh, my experience, there's always some sort of trauma, some emotional trauma from the past. Uh, usually there's an unmet need. Like every child has a need for validation, has a need to be listened to and, and, and uh, feel recognized by their parent. Uh, with mm -hmm. people pleasers, they've usually suffered, I find, some form of emotional neglect. Uh, so they got the message, because a child, that's just terrifying. Right. You can't get acknowledged by your parent. That's just, uh, that's epic. That's a fight for, it's life and death. It is. Uh, it's, it's, so it's literal survival. That's right. So you have this panic. I'm not getting what I need. And so you begin to discover, oh, if I'm of service, I'm loved. Mm -hmm. So what I do 
uh, will not get, for who will I am. Purchase right. Will purchase me what I need. Mm-hmm. So I will purchase love by doing this for you and this for you and this for you. Now will you love me? Now will you love me? Now will you love me? And it's particularly if it's a, a narcissistic parent or something, they, they reinforce that. Uh, so a child begins to feel they're not valued for who they are or for their, their uniqueness or their identity. They're mm-hmm. only valued when they're doing something for someone else, uh, which you know, is a very sad state of affairs, particularly for a child. Well, yeah, and, and one of the things that I like to tell people, this doesn't, when people talk about trauma, they think of something major, and I can't, I really wish I could think of who it is, I think it's Pia Melody, but I'm not positive, who talks about mini traumas and major traumas. And I don't think any of us come through our childhood without some mini traumas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And sometimes these mini traumas, you know, they, they just compound each other because once we start acting in a certain way, then we start getting, people start treating us in that way. And we create this vicious spiral. That's that right. ends up that ends up as adults where we're still trying to fill that what I call the abyss, you know, the, the part that can't possibly be filled from the outside, um, and and we just are in this lifelong struggle. That's right, and we build our relationships and our friendships around these key issues. Uh, of wanting to get love or wanting to get acknowledgement by giving, 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 but eventually you're going to be bankrupt. Mm-hmm. You can't just give all the time. And um, that's when I, I, I feel like a, they, a people pleaser tends to have a great honeymoon. Uh, they tend to do very well in uh, the early stages of a relationship, mm-hmm. but eventually that that defense mechanism begins to break down and suddenly they start to be themselves and the person in relationship with them is like, whoa, 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 I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Who are you and where did you come from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have, since when do you have needs? Right. You know, uh, and then, uh, you know, we're, we're down uh, on a slippery slope. The relationship has to redefine itself or it will self-destruct. Right. And a lot of times because of this, I don't know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde may be too strong of a term for this, but I'm one way most of the time and then all of a sudden this other alien being shows up that because it's so inconsistent and so for the for the other person confusing that none of this stuff actually gets resolved in a healthy way and you know and unfortunately I mean I see this all the time and and I read this in a book a long time ago about you know women who do everything for their husbands and then do everything for their children and then they hit their 40s and it and somebody calls them the FU 40s uh, because <laughs> because now it's about me well it always should have been about you not solely about you but you be as part of the system and um, so how can somebody stop this vicious cycle how can they stop being a people pleaser right well first of all most people pleasers aren't aware of it they come into therapy with these symptoms of anxiety or depression or loneliness uh, and they don't know where it's coming from so first of all we have to 
identify that mechanism. I do a lot of group therapy, uh, and group therapy allows me to really study the space between people. So mm-hmm. a people pleaser comes into group and is usually very successful quickly. Everyone likes, they're welcomed and everything. But suddenly the people please just start skipping sessions, not showing up, because the group is draining them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm watching it happen. So uh, I always ask people once I, I get a sense, oh, I got a people please around my hands. There's someone who needs everyone to like them. Mm-hmm. I may interrupt them or redirect and say, are you being genuine right now? Is that, are you agreeing? for their approval or do uh-huh. you really agree with them or are you avoiding conflict right now because you, you seem to be withholding something uh, so we really want to redirect them to their authentic selves which they've, they've orphaned somewhere along the way right so, uh, caretaking mm-hmm. uh, crafting responses to please people to get affection all that's a lot of work I mean just whew, to live your life that way is no well, wonder you get depressed. Well, and one of the things that I always see, is, and this is usually in the case with women and especially moms, it's like, well, isn't it selfish if I, you know, take care of myself? And it's like, no. But <laughs> that's the idea. It's like, well, no, I have to keep sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing. And it's like, and pretty soon there's not going to be anything left of you. Well, you know, that's, this is an excellent point. Because uh, I do a lot of work with children and teenagers, and I can say this with 100% accuracy, every child wants a happy parent. When a parent takes care of themselves, they model for their child how to take care of themselves. So uh, if I say, even to an adult patient, hey, your mom just called, she's going on a trip around the world, she's never been happier, she's got all these dates set up, she's going to concerts, she's in. how would you feel? And they all use the same word, where they're a child, adult, okay. teenager. Okay, Sean, hang on. I feel I just, relieved. Sean, hang on. Relieved. I, just, I just lost you, so can you start the story again about um, going on a trip, and we'll fix that? Okay. Right. So every child wants a happy, every child wants a happy parent. They want a parent that takes care of themselves because it frees them up and it models how to take care of yourself in a fulfilling way. So uh, the story I like to tell, and I could say this to an adult patient, if your mother called right now or your father and said, I just booked a round-the-world trip. I'm so excited. I can't wait. And I'm going to see some concerts along the way and some old friends are joining me. I, I'm, I'm thrilled. How would you feel if you got that phone call? Everyone says relieved. Yes. Relieved because <laughs> self because if you're a people pleaser, you're a burden for your child because you're fundamentally self-neglecting and unhappy. So when you start to take care of yourself, just like if two parents go out on a date night and mm-hmm. they have a great time and they come home, their kids love to see that. They love to see their parents enjoying it. That, that, oh, they're enjoying themselves. I can enjoy myself too now. But if they're sacrificing and unhappy, compromising, accommodating, people-pleasing, and the child just feels the energy, the vitality has gone out of the relationship, and, and they get a little depressed too. Right. And yeah, and then there's guilt on the part of the children about, well, you know, either directly because their parents are saying that or indirectly because, well, you know, this could have been my parent except for the fact that I came into their lives and now they have to sacrifice for me. So what are some of the things that get in the way 
of people trying to make this change? I mean, because as, as much as you and I would probably like to see all of these people in therapy and, and especially group therapy and, and getting some help, what are some of the things that actually, I mean, I know you're saying people don't necessarily recognize that they're people pleasers, but um, what other obstacles might there be? Well, it's if you're dealing with people pleasers, you're really dealing with self-neglect. Mm-hmm. So it's very rare a people pleaser uh, is functioning fantastically in one area of their life and terribly in another. Usually the neglect runs straight through. Sure. Uh, so they neglect their health. Uh, they neglect their passions. Uh, they uh, don't exercise. You know, there's all these problems because they're not valuing themselves. So why would they do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, they value other people more than themselves. So um, in terms of w- to, to get this, uh, to turn this, this ship around, mm-hmm. we really got to look at, uh, I usually recommend, you know, five things every adult should have in their life. You know, five things that they need to maintain balance. Okay. Are they the same five for everybody or does, or is it just any five? Well, no, I would say uh, for me, I have a general uh, list I go through as one is uh, tension outlets. That's a cardio, mm-hmm. um, a, a cardio workout, 30 minutes or more, three times a week, cuts anxiety and depression by 70%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting up and moving, discharging all that tension you've been storing. Um, uh, second would be esteem building activities. What do you do that has nothing to do with being a wife, a mother, a husband, <laughs> an employee? What is for you? Right. People come to my office. They don't have anything for themselves. No, they don't. Uh, third, we want to look at, I call them uh, mini vacations. Everyone should get a mini vacation once a week. What do you do? Do you take a walk? Do you have a, a secret place you go for ice cream? Do you, are you where you can spend? You can be good company for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth would be uh, really uh, 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 developing talents and passions. A lot of people abandon them after marriage yes, or abandon them after parenthood. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people come to therapy, and I'll give them homework and say, "Why don't you start playing the violin again?" What? Yeah. I, haven't done, I, want you to, <laughs> I want you to paint between now and our next session. I want you to paint a landscape. What? You know, so um, those kind of activities I give to people are really to re- reawaken uh, self-care and self-value. Uh, mm-hmm. So then uh, in relationships, they take that new sense of esteem with them. Right. Did, was that all five or is there one missing? I lost count. Uh, Uh, the the, um the the lost count one the fifth one is is really looking at at your lifestyle Mm -hmm. uh people don't often think of themselves as having a life philosophy but people a couple came in recently and uh they're telling stories and i said it sounds like you only fight when you're drinking Hmm. and that was a shock to them Right. So they, uh, and the more I spoke to them, I thought, wow, these guys are drunk a lot. They're not <laughs> even aware of that. So, right. Uh, people with sleep issues and things or tendencies that tend to disrupt their lives, um, they, they're they not aware of it. They're not aware. So if I well, say, uh, 
Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's, to me, it's sort of like, you know, I've, I've used this example before about the frog in the hot water that, you know, these, these habits and these behaviors can come on really slowly, like the couple you're talking about, that they don't realize how much they drink. And it's like, because it's just kind of happened gradually. It's not like one day they wake up and, okay, here we are. And it's part of that living mindfully. You know, why am I doing what I'm doing? And how does this fit into my life plan? Because you, you talk to people, it's like, what, what do you mean you have a life plan? It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah what, what do you want your life to look like? And I think there's a lot of people that don't realize that that's a choice many of us have. Now, yes, we not, we're not all independently wealthy and can't just kind of, well, I'm just going to jet set around the world. But we, can, we still have some choices that I think a lot of people don't recognize they have. Right. I think we, what happens is when you enter into a marriage or a relationship and children, you get into a reactive loop, mm-hmm. just reacting constantly, putting out fires, spills, tending <laughs> to all the needs. There's so many needs in a household right. suddenly. And you fall into the habit of self-neglect as that becomes a way of life and you're not even aware of it. So if I say to someone, uh, what do you do for yourself on a regular mm-hmm. basis? Something that's Great uniquely question. your own. Mm-hmm. I, I get blank stares and then they followed by irritation and confusion. Like, well, what do you mean for myself? What does that mean? You know, right. Or they've been taught. Who has time? It's selfish. It's uh, selfish. Right. Mm-hmm. And I say the most selfish thing you can be with for your child is selfless. Right. Uh, so, uh, you have to kind of, uh, it's a bit of splashing cold water in people's faces because um, they tend to blame their environment, blame their partner, blame their children, blame politics, blame the mm-hmm. city they live in. You know, when actually there's a lot of choices you can make in your day-to-day life to make things better. Right. But as as I tell people, especially when I'm working with couples, that they have a built-in scapegoat. And if the other person would just do something different, I'd be fine. And it's like, yeah, guess what? Your partner's thinking the same thing. So it's more, and most of us don't want to look in that mirror, but that's really where all of our answers are. Um. <laughs> that's right. There's, a, there's an old jazz song that I always think of in these moments. The, the title was, The Problem With Me Is You. Yes. <laughs> right. And, you know, and a lot of people, because on some level, it is easier for it to be somebody else's responsibility. But unfortunately, that rarely ever works out in the long run. So, you know, so this has been really interesting. And, and I know that so many people suffer from at least some version of this, maybe not full-fledged people-pleasing, but maybe people-pleasing tendencies, and um, I think that if we can take as objective look look at ourselves as we can, that's a mouthful, um, then our lives will be better, but it's being willing to take that look. So as a way of helping people take a look, can you tell them a little bit more about you, where they can find some information about this if they're really wanting to take some action? Oh, absolutely. Uh, In my parenting book, which is called When Kids Call the Shots, I spend the first three chapters 
working with parents, giving them worksheets and questionnaires and exercises to reawaken uh, parts of themselves that they've neglected. They're, what did they give up when they became a parent? What did they mm-hmm. give up when they became a spouse or with someone? What did they abandon? We spend a lot of time. I wanted to write a book that wasn't generic, that didn't mm-hmm. just give you a bunch of checklists, that made you dig into your own history and reawaken lost parts of yourself. When you take better care of yourself, you take better care of your children, you take better care of your relationship. So that, for me, is the starting point. I spent a lot of time on that working with parents. Before we even discuss your child, I don't <laughs> want to hear another word about your husband. We're going to talk about you. Let's talk yeah. about you. So, and then they go screaming out of the room. <laughs> yeah, I used, to, I used to get fired a lot yeah. for that reason, but um, I've gotten mm-hmm. softer with age. Uh, So the book, uh, When Kids Call the Shots, is definitely a great manual for getting your uh, parenting and marriage and relationship with your children uh, for rebooting it based on rather than uh, self-neglect, self-value, esteem, Mm -hmm. and respect, which then permeates your family. Uh, People can always go uh, to my website. I have uh, to my website, SeanGrover.com. I have articles and videos. Everything there is free. There's not a single ad, uh, (laughs) but it's all there. to help and of course psychology today the blog is has gotten just a tremendous response i'm very very pleased that people are enjoying it as much uh and i think i want to make a plug here for group therapy right uh a lot of times you work with as a therapist working with someone individually we get reports Mm -hmm. reports how they were victimized at work you get a report how they're neglected by their husband you get a report how terrible the children are and there's room for distortion there any therapist will tell you at some point you're wondering how accurate is this? Right. When someone joins well, one of my ther- when someone joins one of my therapy groups, I get an enactment. I get right. to see them self neglect. I get to see their their temper issues. I get to see their anxiety that makes them suddenly very woman. Excuse me. <laughs> their anxiety that makes them suddenly very wooden and inauthentic mm-hmm. and cold. When individually they're they're a warm, wonderful person, but put a social context, and their anxiety turns them into someone else. So group therapy to me is the express lane. We deal with relationships in group, uh, and uh, to me uh, that that's the the quickest and most efficient means to expose these uh, life tendencies that are getting people uh, in trouble and. and and causing all these symptoms like anxiety and depression, loneliness, things like that. What I know from my years working with clients is that contorting yourself into a pretzel to avoid upsetting someone else doesn't work. What happens is that you become exhausted and resentful. And I tell my clients that their marriage only has to work for the two of them, but it has to work for both of them. And if it is only working for one, it isn't working. If you aren't being you, then it ultimately won't work. Both of you matter equally. That's what being partners is all about, actually. So let's let go of being people pleasers. Let's start trying to be our authentic selves. And let's have a great marriage. So until next week, stay loving. Stay loving.